0: On July 15th, 1971, President Nixon
1: requested time on national TV. The announcement I shall now read is being issued simultaneously in Peking and in the United States, knowing of President Nixon's expressed desire to visit the People's Republic of China. Premier Zhou Enlai, on behalf of the government of the People's Republic of China, has extended an invitation to President Nixon to visit China. The effect
0: was electric. The idea was almost unimaginable. The Washington Post said, if Mr. Nixon had revealed he was going to the moon, he could not have flabbergasted his world audience more.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Modern History HSC podcast. We are going to be finishing up our Who is the Greatest, uh, I guess, season, focusing on, I guess, the great leaders, and then maybe going into something A little bit more mishmashed, um, but we had to talk about our CCP leaders and specifically which one had the most important impact on China today. Now, obviously, I think a lot of people default to Mao Zedong being, you know, the great helmsman, leader of the great leap forward and the Cultural Revolution. Kind of feels a little bit hands down, but we do need to scratch a little bit below the surface and we want to also consider. Zhao Enlai, the first premier and the prime minister of China and his influence. And also have a look at Deng Xiaoping, the great modernizer and who really set up China for the way that it is today. So, I'm going to introduce my four guests who are here for the discussion today. We have Luke, Scott, Tom, and Mark. So, I'll get them all to the say hello individually as we're going. And then, and as they're saying that, maybe they'll give us a bit of an indication as to which way they're leaning without going into too much detail. So we'll start with you, Luke.
2: Uh, hello everyone. Um, really, I've started off sort of leaning towards Deng. I really looked into him a bit more because I felt like, like you said, Mao was kind of an obvious choice being the leader during the start of the communist revolution, but I feel like Deng sort of gets overlooked a bit in that regard because he really helped to uh, modernise China. Like, he took them basically pretty much out of the Stone Age and made them the uh powerhouse that we know today. Like, the uh, saying we have a thing where everything's made in China. Like, that really couldn't have happened without Deng um reforming them and sort of making them a little bit more capitalist and a little bit less um they were just a little bit less like strictly Maoist, like you sort of started stepping away from what Mao had set out.
3: Um Scott, I'll be curious for how you're leaning. Yeah, I'm
4: I'm in agreement with you I think um Dang has with his four modernisations he's really affected the economy positively. As compared to how Mao did, um, he, Mao had some positive effects at the cost of like 40 million people. But, um, Deng, he really focused on economy and developed relations with USA to really get that trade going and get that money flowing. What do you think,
3: Mark?
5: Yeah, I've also, um, chosen Deng to be the most impactful, um, everyone's really talking about economy and all that, so he's, um, he's one of those few leaders that was very forward-thinking, thinking 30-plus thinking years into the future and um, recognising their position on the world stage and how they'd um, be able to turn this um Ragtag country into the economic powerhouse
3: that it is today. What do you think about that, Tom?
0: So, um, this has all gone with Deng, and I, I'm sort of leaning towards Zhao and Lai, um, if I'm being honest here. And that's mainly because he was sort of around maybe even before Mao in like the higher ups of the CCP, and he was around throughout the entirety of Mao's rule, sort of as the, the, First real predecessor to Mao as he's like second in command, and then later sort of shunted into the shunted out of the spotlight due to his um, I don't know disparities and sort of discontent with Maoism and whatnot, and sort of throughout his entire position in um, the CCP, he never really moved away from his ideals of trying to make China a great a great um, Superpower on the world stage and he sort of set up a lot of the ideals that Deng then carried forward after Mao's death and after Deng was able to outmaneuver the Gang of Four and Hua Guofeng. And so I feel like, um, Zhao sort of had a lot of impact behind the scenes in sort of, um, alleviating a lot of the issues that Mao was causing and trying to, um, um, ease tensions between China and The US, for example, and he did a lot of, um, stuff around the area in terms of just trying to make it, um, a better place and whatnot and really set up the conditions and the ideology that Deng then carried forward in his leadership. Mr. Hamilton, would you back me up on that?
1: Yeah, like I, I definitely think so that Zhao plays an interesting role in setting up a lot of what Deng will take and run Den Moon will like take and run, run with and, you know, make very true. Um, Zhao also plays a big role during the Cultural Revolution in protecting Deng Xiaoping and his family as well. So Deng kind of almost owes his life, um, to Zhao. But I guess that doesn't really, that kind of gets away from the question a little bit. It's just like a bit of a technicality. But. For us to do this discussion properly, well, for you guys to do this discussion properly, I want us to think about it because all these three men were present and involved in some way with like the major steps of China after World War II to Tiananmen Square. That's our scope of study. So I really want to start with the Great Leap Forward. Who has the biggest impact during the Great Leap Forward, what are these men doing? And then maybe come to a bit of a, a conclusion as to who takes the most weight in that section of time, and then we'll move on to something else. So I might start with Mark. What do you reckon? Who takes the cake for the Great Leap Forward and maybe pass it on someone else?
5: Yeah, um, well, undoubtedly it's going to be now being the... Um, most important, um, kind of person that starts and, and acts the Great Leap Forward. And, um, there was kind of this vision trying to drag China out of this, um, very shameful country that they'd become. Like, all in those older kingdoms, they'd been like a very big powerhouse. On the world that it had deteriorated, and these communist um, communist ideas that Mao had been bringing in to try and get China to be um, a leader on the world stage, and that was trying to get them to walk on both legs, as he had said, by implementing um, agricultural and industrial reforms to their economy, and but as everyone knows, it's been a pretty um, great failure, failure, um, which resulted in about 20 to 55 million people dying from man-made famines in order for Mao to achieve very ambitious and unrealistic goals. You think about that, Luke.
2: Yeah, I think there's definitely a very, very strong case to be made for Mao. Like, he, um, really was the figurehead of, kind of, of the party at that time. Like, he's who everyone talks about and who's kind of who everyone would have known about. And like, yeah, I think he's kind of the figurehead of the party, but I definitely agree with what Tom was saying on Zhao, where Zhao sort of comes in sort of a little bit before Mao and he's kind of, falls into that behind-the-scenes sort of a role, and I was reading a, a little bit about him, and it's kind of like Mao's like the flame for the um, revolution, and Zhao is kind of like this um mildening sort of, like he has more mild ideas and sort of keeps uh, Mao on track and keeps him a bit more under control so he's not, you know,
3: running around rampant. Killing everyone and that sort of thing. Uh, what would you have to say about that, Scott? I think you're right there, Luke. Um, Mao definitely was quite the extremist when
4: it came to, um, plans like his, um, getting rid of the four olds, which is the stable of, um, the basis of China basically. How he took away like habits, customs, um what were the other two? Sorry? Thomas, what were the other two?
3: How uh, the four um, um Oh habits customs, ideas and uh Customs and Um yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, yeah. So as far as I don't know what we're talking about with the Great Leap Forward and whatnot. I feel like, whilst I was saying that Zhao was sort of at the, in the background there a lot, I feel like in terms of the Great Leap Forward, he didn't really have as much of an impact as Mao did in terms of the fact that during this time, Zhao was trying to sort of, um, stay in the CCP and was more worried about surviving as in that in terms of that he'd sort of Spent a lot of time trying to prove to Mao that he was, he was a genuine Maoist and that he was within, he was following Mao's cult personality. And sort of the, the Great Leap Forward was just Mao's, um, attempt to sort of be the next Stalin. And he really took the forefront there. And while Zhao was one of the few leaders that actually, you know, said that the Great Leap Forward wasn't such a great idea, he was sort of Unable to sort of have as much of an impact as Mao did. And in a way, the Great Leap Forward did have some advantages for China in terms of sort of, maybe not as much in terms of like, that they actually had a great increase in industrial and economic output because that was largely exaggerated and a lot of like the steel and things that they manufactured were, um, just flat out unusable. But in terms of the fact that it really, um, Started to show that China was, you know, able to sort of pull out of their, um, like get out of the backwardness that they'd been suffering from for, like, decades now, that they were able to sort of push up in the, into the, onto the world stage, and um
3: kind of surpass
0: some countries in Europe and, and that sort of thing. Luke, you got something to say about that?
2: I think what you're saying is quite correct and you know, it does get China, um, out of that backwardness and everything that the mouse pointing out with the great leap forward. And I think after you get past that, you know, how you said like Zhao starts to like say that the great leap forward wasn't such a great idea. And then you got Deng kind of like once you get out of that period of time, everyone's kind of like, Oh, it's not so great that all these people died because of us. But without that, like the, The basis of what they've built their entire, like, um, the new sort of China, the basis from what they built that upon was that great leap forward. And so everyone's kind of quick to bag it out to sort of gain a bit of popularity. But without that, you know, Deng wouldn't have had his foundations to build new, like what we know as China today and all that sort of stuff. Like they were, there were some good things that did come from it. Uh, Scott, have you got something
4: to say? Yeah, I was just about to say, like, Zhao, he kind of had to mop up what Mao left behind when he fleed, um China because of that big fail from the um, Great Leap forwards. It's kind of a Great Leap back, but um, Zhao was just there to clean up, and I think that's why he had such popularity in China. What do you think, Seth?
1: Yeah, um, I think they're all kind of like, copable, like, um, and responsible for what happened during the Great League Forward, which you guys have been touching on. Like, Mao's definitely, definitely the radical wannabe Stalin. Um, Zhao and I know he's pushing, there is some evidence that he's like, trying to push back on Mao being too radical, but, He's the doer. Like, he says to Mao that, like, you know, you come up with the ideas and I'll make it happen um, or something to that effect. And Deng, Deng's, like, the wheeler of the party. Like, he's also the person out there making stuff happen. Um, they do, like, in the book I was reading about Mao's great famine, it is Deng and Zhao who do realise, after actually going out and inspecting their own, like like places where they came from, where they grew up, just like how poorly things have gone that they do try to turn stuff around. Um but yeah, they're they're definitely they're definitely involved as much as Mao, but Mao's the person who is running it. And it is a great feedback, back, in my mind. Um totally get what Luke's saying too, which is that like this is all part of China moving away from the system that it was before and it was very chaotic and then you don't have the cultural revolution if that doesn't happen. But, but yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. It's, and it's a hard one. We might need to move on to something else to see if we can find some firmer ground. So maybe let's think who had the best or the greatest impact on society. Okay, so the benefit of the average chinese person who had who gave the average Chinese person the best quality of life or the best prospect of a future um through their actions I'll start with um start with you mark. What do you reckon
3: yeah, well,
5: I'm thinking there's a case for me i like with his cult of personality, a lot of the people that were die hard fans for him we're thinking, oh yeah, this is definitely gonna make our lives easier. We're gonna um sacrifice some things for the greater good of ourselves and our society. But um the one I feel's the most um improvement for society was Deng Xiaoping because um his modernisations of um economic liberal liberalization were, um, able to lift around 200 million people out of poverty and helping them to, um, provide cheap and, um, plentiful labor for the Chinese workforce, which, um, foreign assets were able to invest in and take advantage of, but it provided uh, more security for a lot of the lower and middle class of China. Do you have the same thoughts on that, Tom? Um,
0: yeah, I really feel like Deng had a big impact in terms of like in, in China and the CCP, like economically and whatnot. But I feel like on the other side of that, we sort of got the Cold War and whatnot going on, and Zhao had a bit of an impact on like on the the peace and the peaceful coexistence side of things in terms of, I know he was like a co-author on the five points of peaceful coexistence, um, in China, sort of pushing towards, you know, opening up to America. Um, he was, he was, a, uh, don't know. He was part of the Geneva Accord in, in China in 1954, um, which was the sort of, um, bring about peace after the Korean war and sort of, um, give give a bit of um
3: freedom to Taiwan and whatnot. But I don't know, I feel like Zhao
0: is sort of opening up the paving the way for Deng to then come out and allow a bit of Americanization in China. And um uh, I've got a quote here by Henry Kissinger, um, and that is that in sixty years of public life I have encountered no more compelling figure than Zhao and Lai. And that's sort of suggesting that Throughout this period with like, you know, Mao running wild and whatnot, um, Zhao was sort of like showing this sort of level head to the Americans and all these other nations and sort of giving them sort of a idea that China was, um, in many ways willing and capable of sort of opening up to peace and allowing for sort of the, na- allowing for China to prosper later on under Deng. So, yeah,
3: I feel like he in many ways shaped the,
0: shaped the, um, conditions that allowed these sorts of things to come about that made China a better place after the, um, atrocities occurred under Mao in the Great Leap Forward and then in the Cultural Revolution with, you know, the, the Red Guards and whatnot,
3: killing principles and things. do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I do, do think that
4: Mao, I mean, Zhao was quite the people person, but, um, Deng Xiaoping also seek to really, um, develop relationships with countries that were otherwise seen as enemies of the communists. Um, for example, the America um Deng had to really change his ways to be a, um, be a kind of an influence on the, um, US people. But obviously he wasn't liked by everyone. Some ministers called him an evil little man. But he was developing that relationship with Nixon and getting that trade done and having that money flow in and whole entire cities were constructed off of that money and which really bettered their life. And ultimately, if you better life, then people will be happier, they'll be healthier. And I think that's more of a positive impact than just morale. Do you agree with that, Luke?
2: I think there's definitely a um, very strong case to be made for Dang, you know. With his like form like his um core idea of like the four modernisations and that realistically, if you want to talk about impacts on society, like when we all think of China today and like giant cities and uh like a massive population, and that's like it's an economic powerhouse really, and I think as far as impacts on society goes. The amount of modernization that was allowed to occur because of, uh, what Deng set in motion was, um, quite astounding. But there is definitely, I do agree with what Tom was saying, it, kind of that Zhao was very much starting to pave the way towards, uh, and sort of set the foundations there that Deng could build
3: upon. Uh, Mark, what have you got to say? Yeah, I'm still
5: remaining with Deng, but um, yeah, I feel like he was more of a moderator and for now, everyone was just, oh, he's a god, he's just going to fix everything. um, Sir looks pretty keen to answer this one, so I'll let him speak.
1: No, no, it's all good. You guys are doing a good job. I just kinda of wanted to throw out the idea of maybe just distilling what Tom was trying to put forward um when he was laying it all out. Is Zhao the most important figure because without Zhao as being the moderator, um oh sorry, without Zhao being the modern, being the moderator, Mao's just completely unhinged. Like He is not bridled, and he gets to be pure
3: 100% Mao.
1: So in effect, he muzzles Mao from being the full version of himself, being the moderator through the Great Leap Forward, being the moderator through the Cultural Revolution. I know he protected important cultural sites from the Red Guard, like the Forbidden Palace, for example. He protected Deng Xiaoping so that way he could come in and modernize later. Without Zhao, even though he's not, like, the person at the top, um, do we get a China that basically implodes on itself and goes into civil war
3: without him? What do you reckon, Luke? I definitely think that there is a case for that. I feel like Zao through the whole
2: like of this span of time that we're looking at is always sort of in the background doing something. And you know like there was when I what I was looking at is we always have them those questions in the HSE about um the two sides when Zao dies about how um, you know Mao's really pushing for like no one can talk about it. There's no, uh, nothing going on. Like, and then at home, the people themselves are actually like, you know, throwing private little gatherings and stuff to celebrate his life. And I feel like it's kind of almost the same thing going on with his position in power is kind of like no one is really I don't know, it's not like he's the forefront of anything, but he's always doing something in the background to, um, you know, like you said, to moderate Mao or to build the foundations of everything that was
3: done during these times. Um, Mark, what have you got to say?
5: Yeah, I, I do believe that, um, Xiao played a good role in, um, acting like a buffer to a lot of the, Extreme, um, policies and ideas of Mao. Like, you can see that with the relations with, um, the Soviet Union, uh, the leaders would say that, um, Mao was very difficult to, um, work with and, um, try and shape policies around. But Xiao was more of a welcome change for them. And that culminated in, like, the Friendship Alliance and Mutual Assistance Treaty. And Zhao was, like Zhao was saying, protecting a lot of those cultural icons of China and, um, also protecting Deng Xiaoping, which was kind of slowing down or, um, suppressing a lot of, um, Mao Zedong's cult of personality, which had kind of taken over China, but I feel that, because Mao's Great Leap Forward was pretty bad, that the, um, Zhao kinda taking the reins was a good, um, decision for the, uh, CCP and China overall. What did you say on that, Tom?
0: Yeah, I agree, and I really feel like, um, Zhao and Lai really stuck to his, I don't know, yeah, he, he had an ideology throughout his entire, Um, I don't know. Lifetime, I guess you could say as well, in that, in terms of that he wanted to make China great again. (laughs) Sounds a bit like Donald Trump, but yeah, he wanted, he wanted to really, um, bring China back into the, turn China back into the superpower that it had been, like, previously with its position in, like, near the Silk Road and whatnot, and it's, like, trading power, and he really wanted to, um, bring it up on the world stage. And he believed that communism was the way to go with that. And you can sort of see with Mao that he was constantly changing tone to try and, you know, keep, keep the, um, keep popularity and sort of increase his cult personality and trying to, like, you know, he set up the red, um, the gang of four to sort of alleviate his, um, um, responsibility for the sort of things that they did sort of so that he couldn't be pinned for some of the, like, and, you know, go down with it like he had with the Great Leap Forward when it, um, failed. And so you sort of see that Mao was trying to be a, a pleaser and trying to build his of personality and leave his legacy. Whereas Zhao was sort of more just focused on China. And he, he really just wanted to make China a, a better place and a more, um, productive place and, um, more influential on the world stage. And I feel like that, that really had a, that his role in that sort of was very important in where China is, in making China what it is today, and that it was very lasting in terms of the fact that, um, you know, without him there to moderate Mao, Deng might have been killed. You wouldn't have had the um, the sort of industrialisation and the modernisation that occurred under Deng. And in terms of that Mao might have gone way too overboard in maybe the great leap forward or, um, with the red guards and, um, like, just completely destroyed China's capability of ever becoming, um, a superpower in the 20th century and sort of beyond. Scott, do you agree or disagree?
4: Yeah, um, Zhao definitely did make sure that China was stable enough to uh, progress forwards, but uh, I think it's really Deng who delivered that and made sure that, um China could actually be a better economy, but Zhao just kept it stable. Do you agree, sir?
1: Yep, I think everyone's bringing up good points. Um I kind of want to focus a little bit more on Deng because, you know, first and foremost we have these four modernizations and we're saying, you know, Zhao sets it up. And Deng, you know, he takes the reins and he actually does it. Um, A couple of other things that I want you guys to discuss a little bit more when we're dealing about maybe the lasting impacts of Deng is, first of all, one, he's the person in charge, um, the chairman, during Tiananmen Square. Okay, so you have that. Even though it's debated by analysts today whether or not, you know, he made the final call, there was a lot of internal pressure in the party, I know his daughter defends him but she's not a very good source obviously because you know <laughs> and I can see a lot of people laughing but because yeah she's obviously biased but there it's it's up in the air but still you're the chairman you're the leader of the party so there is definitely some responsibility there other another two things would be he also brings in the one child policy So if you know anything about the one-child policy, this is having um, hugely destabilising social impacts on China today. The fact that they have a skewed demographic, a lot more males compared to females, um, and the one-child policy in reducing their population, um, I think the evidence has come back that it's just done more harm than good, really. Um and also put a pretty negative, like, external slant on the way that China does things and China controls things. So, again, that's another thing, that Tiananmen Square was bad PR for China. One-child policy is bad PR for China again. Um He also brings in a huge push for anti-corruption and anti-crime. So, after the Cultural Revolution, we're in, like, peak chaos, and Deng... I guess, tries to put the brakes on this as hard as possible by just coming out and being as hard on crime as you can possibly be. Um, estimates range that executions for criminals range um, by, say, Taiwan's estimates to 60,000 people were executed. Um, and I think the accepted is about maybe 25,000 people were executed. but. Um, it stopped the crime wave. <laughs> so there you go. You have that. <laughs> but it was pretty brutal. So Tiananmen Square, one child policy and stopping crime in its tracks by doing the anti Batman thing of just absolutely murdering all the criminals. <laughs> what do we reckon? I'm going to start off with you, Scott. There's a lot of juicy stuff there to talk about.
4: Yeah, um, definitely. For sure, um Dan Dang had to rule with an iron fist at times and that includes Tan um Tandeming Square where um there was a real misunderstanding at the start due to a um certain uh mayor's death. People came out to like mourn and hold memorials and it was kind of felt as a a threat on security which ended up in a brawl between grievers and the police, which really just set off anger um, amongst the civilians and it really exploded into the event that we know today where heaps of civilians and protesters were shot and killed and run over by tanks and it really... Um, got good coverage from the outside world um, to show how much um, censorship that China has and how they were willing to kill their citizens in order to keep control. And that can be seen as well with um, killing the criminals. I guess it did really work with making sure crime rates, crime rates went down and... Um, I guess that's what they saw was needed, but whether it was needed as up for debate, I reckon Tom could elaborate more on those.
0: Um, yeah. I feel like, you know, mass killing of criminals and things sort of is a little bit harsh maybe, but, you know, it ha- had its benefits in, you know, alleviating crime or whatnot. And in terms of the one, one child policy, um, you know, the negative impacts of it largely come from the fact that a lot of families sort of had this, um, traditional, um, and sort of, um, sexist sort of ideals that the males were more important than the females and that sort of had encouraged a lot of the negative impacts with the disparities in, um, between the two different genders and whatnot in China. And I feel like I doubt it's to do with um Deng's foresight or anything, but I feel like the one child policy and the the lack of youth in China today is one of the things sort of holding back and this is debatable, but I feel like it's one of the things holding back China from engaging in conflict like with the current tensions going on between China and the US and other nations. The fact that there isn't a large amount of youth compared to say back in back during the world wars when, you know like, hundreds and thousands of, like, young men were going away to fight. Now China sort of, um, puts a higher value on their people, seeing as, you know, that, you know, they, they have been sort of whittled down by this one child policy. And so, that is sort of having, I don't know, you could say positive impacts for the world today in the fact that we haven't gone to war. And, you know, I'm not overly, um, knowledgeable on this sort of topic but i feel like that maybe you could say that was that is possibly a positive to come from at all i don't know
3: mark
5: yeah i totally agree with what you said there that um i'd say more for Deng's case on uh the one child policy was more of a first principles kind of thought like he's just thinking we have like the largest population on earth like around 1 billion people and we're going through this fast economic growth and what comes with economic growth is um, there's more a rise in standards of uh, living conditions and therefore people are living longer and there's going to be more people. And so to try and um, mitigate a lot of the uh, resource Heavy, um, ut- utilization that they're gonna need later on, he'd do that, but not taking into account, like, the traditional, uh, sexist views on, um, having a man to carry on, like, the family name and all that. And, um, with Tiananmen Square, I'd say, like, whoever that fella that was, um, dying, the Hu bang Yang fella, um, because a lot of the Western media were there um, covering it, that was pretty good for the uh, students to kind of take advantage of that because of the more uh, restrictive policies that the CCP had had, not wanting them to look bad, but that um, inevitably did escape and looked bad and did have him have to retire from the CCP. Um, and I'd also say on, um, the Wei Jing on, um, Deng's kind of policies towards, um, openness and that, how Wei Jing had fought for a fifth modernization of democracy. However, Deng had kind of, um, kept a lot of the hardline communist views and trying to hold the power. Um, in China and not allowing democracy to kind of take hold. What would you say on that, sir?
1: I think that we need to make a decision. That's what I think. I'm sitting here listening to all of this and everybody's making, you know, really good points, talking about the events. Um, we need to come up with a framework and perhaps like a final, like agreement in the way that we think about these three gentlemen. So. Everyone's going to come up with a rank, okay? So rank from the most important, and that might in your mind be for positive effects or just lasting effects or whatever, and down to the least important, okay? And you might be thinking that the person who has the most negative lasting effects, I'm going to put at the bottom, okay? So... Who would like to go
3: first on that? Set the trend. Get in first.
1: Yep, Luke yeah, wants to I go. No, Luke had his hand up first. Sorry.
2: <laughs> no, well, in terms of ranking them, I feel like I understand what you're saying. How we haven't really chosen, and we keep bringing up more tangible points for every of each one of the leaders. And I feel like my rank would still have Dang at the top, but I feel like um, Zhao's moved into second place as far as, you know, positive effects and Mao on the bottom. And I think this whole conversation has had, um, an impact on me being able to learn more about, um, how prominent Zhao was within, uh, this topic and how much he was doing behind the scenes and stuff that, um, maybe doesn't get brought up as much. Um, Scott, what have you got?
4: Yeah, I I still think that um Deng is on top with in terms of like his benefits towards China and its economy. Um, Zhao has moved up to second for me because of his yeah he's behind the scenes working and getting things done. He had a focus on China, whereas Mao he was just focused on himself and developing that godlike status, which really didn't help anyone. And I think it's because of Mao's, uh, basically his need to be the next Stalin is the reason why he wasn't that useful to China. He really just made a mess of things where Zhao had to clean it up and then Deng had to deliver it. Do you agree, Mark?
5: Yeah, I agree with both of you there. I'd kind of had like Deng on top followed by Mao and Zhao, but uh, from this I'd um, kind of recognise the, the importance that um, Zhao had had in um, moderating the Cultural Revolution and providing a stable environment. So, yeah, I'd go Deng, Zhao, then Mao. What do you think, Tom?
0: Yeah, so I think I'm going to do my ranking on sort of the, Most positive and sort of, um, better impact of the leaders on China. And I think Mao's definitely going at the bottom because he was really more worried about his legacy, his ideology, his, himself becoming the next Stalin and wasn't really worried about, you know, the reality of China and what China was, what was actually going on in China. And he didn't really want to recognize that the Great Lead Forward had had such negative impacts. And then moving up, I don't know, I feel like, I'm gonna put Ding a second just because, you know, he, he did have those, um, negative impacts with the, um, Tiananmen Square incident and the one child policy and that, um, Zhao could, I'm putting Zhao at the top. I feel like with Zhao, his position at the top comes mainly from the fact that he didn't end up with like a, um, absolute leadership like, um, uh, and Mao did, so, you know, he never really had as much of a um, as much responsibility for some of the things that occurred. And that um throughout his time I feel like he really um he was really focused on making China better and um prioritized China over his own needs and things. And maybe if if he hadn't have died of cancer and um maybe to do with maybe as a result of Mao, but if he hadn't have died he might have been able to do some of the things that Deng later carried on. And his position might have been in like his placement on my list might have been first solidified if he had have survived longer and been able to implement some more of his um wisdom throughout in the CCP.
1: Rightio, we have the ranking. Deng is the winner. Uh, Zhao comes in as a clear second. Tell you what, Mao's going to be rolling in his mausoleum if he bloody heard this. The one thing that man wanted more than anything else was his legacy, and we're here shitting on it. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But there you go. Everybody, That's the thing. Having this discussion's been really good because, as we said at the beginning, most people think Mao Zedong, he is the man who, like, forged China. But really was all about himself when you actually scrape behind the, behind the surface. He was always obsessed with himself and people in the background really were the ones like making it happen. Um, so yeah, thanks guys for being here for this discussion and hopefully the listeners, um, especially if you're a HSC student and you're listening to this, this is a great overview of the key characters um and giving you a little bit more of an insight into one of those key questions that Luke brought up, like what was so important about Zhao's death and looking at Mao's insecurities about the whole thing. Um we'll see you next time on the Modern History HSC podcast, but I'll get all the boys to sign off first. So we'll start with Scott.
4: Thanks for listening folks. Hopefully we have another one that you can tune into
2: and learn more about.
3: All
2: right, go Luke. Yeah, thanks for listening. I know I definitely learned some things from this and I hope that the especially HSC students listening could maybe learn a few
3: things as well. And and Tom
0: Yeah, Tom's signing off. Thanks for listening everyone. Um, I know that the Chinese topic's probably one of my weaker ones, but I enjoyed talking um, today with Luke, Scott and Mark and um, Congrats, guys, on the win. Um, Thanks for listening. Mark, hand it over to
5: you. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, boys did a good job and,
1: um, I like the debate. It's good. Excellent. And we're all excited because we're now going back to school for the last week and we'll hopefully be able to do a couple of podcasts in person. So not have the awkward, (laughs) the awkwardness of, like, who's going to go next and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully the quality of our pro- podcast only improve from here. So thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Modern History HSC podcast.